Hello and welcome to the Pinnacle Podcast, brought to you by Pinnacle.com, the online bookmaker that offers you the best odds, the highest limits and a unique winner's welcome policy. I'm your host Ben Cronin and joining me today is someone who doesn't really need an introduction. There are thousands of people out there who claim they can beat the bookmakers, but this man actually does it for a living. It's Rufus Peabody. Hi Ben. How's it going? You alright? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. It's uh, US Open week, so it's an exciting time for me. Good stuff. You must be busy. You know, not as not as busy anymore. It was it was a pretty hectic three days, but but now I'm kind of excited to relax and watch a little bit of golf. Nice, sounds good. Um, so let's kind of before we get into where you're at now and and what you're up to, let's kind of go right back to the beginning and the I guess the start of your journey. So so for you, where did it all begin? Sort of getting to where you are now. So I, I've always been into the number side of sports. When when I I remember when I was in first grade, I would like, um, we, we'd have a carpool to, to school and, and my dad would stop at the newsstand and pick up a newspaper. And I would always just look at the baseball score, like the, the box scores. And I don't even think I knew what they meant originally, but like, I don't even know if I knew how to read at the time, but somehow they fascinated me. And I've, yeah, I've always been into the number side of sports and sort of, I've never really, I wasn't a statistician or a math major or anything like that, but I've always been comfortable with numbers and and I happened to uh, read an article about um, about Las Vegas sports consultants my junior year of college LVSC this company in in Vegas that consulted for 90% of the legal Nevada bookmakers and I just decided like that was a dream job like I want to work there that's it's like academia for sports and and so I called um, I tried to get in touch with the CEO of the company Kenny White and you know they they basically were like you know call back in three weeks on Sunday at 3:30 p.m. and and I did and then they like had forgotten about that and, and but you know two months later I eventually got in touch and 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 ended up talking my way into an internship there and actually that summer also I had applied for a summer research opportunity in the economics department at Yale working with a professor and I. Uh, you know, I interviewed and he, he didn't actually end up giving me the job. Um, that would have been for the like early part of the summer for six weeks. Uh, he didn't give me the job, but but I had been talking about stuff with sports betting and, and this sort of internship. And he said that he had to referee a paper on sports betting um, and some and how it pertained to financial markets that fall. And so he actually asked me if I, I want to do a research project for him and write a literature review on all the uh, academic literature about sports betting and, and pertaining to financial markets. And so honestly, that was kind of the best preparation I could have, have ever had. I mean, I, I going into that, I didn't know much at all about sports betting markets. I was just your average square and, you know, square that wasn't even betting, uh, who just loved sports. And and I really got a sense of how these markets worked and, and then was able to take that with me when I went to Las Vegas for that summer, which was and the summer was great. I mean, I, I got you know a crash course on sports betting, learned about like correlated parlays and you know everything, and and was able to uh, I guess prove my worth a little bit when the Tim Donahue scandal broke, the NBA referee that bet on games he officiated, and so I broke down the numbers and found some some trends using like honestly very basic methods. I found some of the some trends in games he officiated, and so. They uh, were willing to hire me back on full time after 
uh, after my senior year of college. And so I, I went back to Yale for my senior year and ended up writing my senior thesis on psychological inefficiencies in the baseball betting market. And so that was that was my first attempt at developing a model to beat the market. And it wasn't really a model to beat the market as much as it was, well, it was, it, it was a model to beat the market, but it wasn't a model to predict the outcome of sporting events. It was now come to predict inefficiencies in the market. So basically where there were out, where there were biases that, that led to odds being miscast. And, you know, I think that obviously the markets are, are a lot more efficient now than they were back then, but, um, but I, it, it, you know, that, that was definitely my first model and, and it, it, it gave me some, you know, encouragement that this is something that I could do. And so when I went back to Las Vegas, you know, full time, um, I really kind of started working really hard in the time I was not working for Las Vegas sports consultants, um, it, you know, and developing these models myself. And, and I guess, you know, starting with like NFL prop bets and then getting in, you know, that, that, that upcoming baseball season, I actually had a predictive model all set up. And it's kind of interesting to note there that you said you're almost, you class yourself as a square before you then went to LVSC. I'd be interested, would, was it that summer that was kind of a shock to the system or was it then what followed from that that really kind of opened your eyes to the, to the betting industry? Well, I, I just knew nothing about it really before that. I, I literally, I, I wasn't somebody that grew up betting. You know, I grew up, um, you know, I, I played in NCAA tournament pools and even ran ran them in t for two years in high school. But I, I just didn't really know anything about the industry. And so um, I, it, it was just, I guess, getting the sort of academic view of it first really helped, I think, inform my thinking, especially when I when I went to Vegas and sort of got a very different perspective on things from these people that were, were setting the odds. So where did things go from Vegas then? What kind of route did you take? Obviously things have changed a lot since then, but what kind of, what were the years that followed from then that kind of gave you more experience in the industry? Well, so I quit, I quit working at Las Vegas sports consultants after about a year, um, I think 11 months because I had, um, I had partnered up with some, you know, some um, professional bettors who basically were willing to take a chance on me. They offered me a 20% re free roll for the 2019, not 2019, the 2009 baseball season. And I ended up, um, you know, making the equivalent of my yearly salary in the first month, which was not very much. I'm just going to put it that way. It was like barely above minimum wage, but it was a great job. Um, got to tell you that um so they at that point they were like why are you still working for for lvsc i mean you're just kind of you're you're slitting your own throat at that point and so they basically made me an offer to work you know work with them be a full-time partner and and i said yes and it was the best career decision i ever made and so at that point i was able to spend all my time developing models for other sports and i remember that summer that first summer i i put like two months into trying to build a uh, in-game wagering model. I was working on this in-game betting model for baseball and, and you know, it was, it had some success actually. Um, we, especially against Cantor, but it, you know, that wasn't a track that ended up being quite as lucrative uh, or the bigger thing with the, the live betting is just how time intensive it is. And, and especially if, 
you know, where I was technologically at that point, it, you know, I, it wasn't completely automated. And, and so that took a lot of time, but, you know, I got into other sports. I think NFL props is the first thing I think I, I got really, really good at. And, but that that's also was so time intensive that first NFL season, you know, working with these guys, I would, um, I would sleep a total of like three hours between Friday and Saturday nights on a given weekend. And then I would sleep like 15 straight hours Sunday night. So it, it wasn't really sustainable. And looking back at it, you know, I, I had this like incredible drive and I just worked so hard. And I, I feel like I don't, I don't really, I don't have that same drive anymore. I can't pull these all nighters anymore either. But it um, from there, I mean, it went like, you know, I bet continued betting baseball. I, I then about a year after started the Massey Peabody rankings with my former senior thesis advisor, Cade Massey. And we've been doing that ever since that that was an NFL model. And we, we do college football as well. And I started betting golf in 2010 as well. And so that's, ba I mean, those are basically the three sports I bet uh, golf, football, both college and pro and baseball and just to to go back there you said kind of in the early days when you were betting these sports and your nfl props and things like that was your work predominantly finding the edge and building the model or whatever it might be or was there also some kind of boots on the ground in the case of having to work to get those bets down as well so my work was was primarily building the models and, and pricing the things and my partners were the ones doing the trading and i, I kind of liked it that way i mean my, when I was at LVSC, I was betting on, like on my own on my own in Las Vegas, but that was more just you know running around um, from shop to shop. Back in, these were the days before smartphones, so I couldn't like you know I had I would run out and hope that the odds didn't change at a book in the next like hour and a half if I had a bunch of other books I had to, to hit first. So it's 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 funny how things have changed now and how 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 much faster everything is. It certainly sounds like a, a fascinating career, and I mean, as I kind of alluded to in the intro there, you only have to look at Twitter for a matter of minutes to see how many people out there are kind of claiming that they can they can beat the books and everything like that. But from your perspective, what do you think it is about you, whether it's kind of personality traits, whether it's your skill set, what makes you suited to a betting career, do you think? That's a good question. Uh... I don't know. I think I think it's a lot of it is problem solving and sort of creative thinking, and and like you. I wondered for a while why I actually why there weren't more people doing this. And I remember back during the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. I think this is maybe in 2012. We were trying to um, we we're considering hiring somebody, and and so we actually met with a bunch of people and interviewed a bunch of people that had had much more impressive. Uh, quantitative credentials than I do, which is what I wanted. And I figured the best way to see if someone would be a good fit is actually give them a problem that they would actually be dealing with. So I think at the time we were looking at someone doing like either in-game NBA is the exercise or, or tennis. And they could look at either, we gave them a sort of limited data set and you know, if they wanted to actually try to come up with a model on their own um, in the time before we met with them, that was fine. Or if they just wanted to go through their thought process and how they'd approach it, that was also fine. And, and some of the, like the one guy said that to build an NBA model, live model, he would like look, he'd use like 
three quarters of the season as sort of a, a training data set and, and basically see how, how the Lakers did when they were up by like 10 to 12 points, like, you know, early in the fourth quarter and build it, you know, and I was like, this guy's got like a PhD in statistics from MIT and this is how he'd approach it. Like that's, I don't know. It's, I think there's a certain way of being able to being able to sort of blend the quantitative skills or at least some quantitative skills and familiarity with numbers with, with sort of a, a sort of creative approach and logical approach to, to it and is there kind of people throughout that your career that you kind of say that person was so influential i needed that person to kind of get where i am today oh 100 percent, yes so those two people for me have been have been uh kenny white and cade massey cade massey was my senior thesis advisor and i didn't meet him till well i met kenny white first he was the guy that originally um took a chance on me and and hired me to come out to las vegas for an internship and, and then hired me full time. And, and he kind of introduced me to the industry and, and, and was definitely a mentor to me. And, and he, you know, Kenny worked harder than anybody. I had, he had these notebooks with like, he had like, he, he could tell you the backup, like long snapper at some high school, like how good this player was. I mean, he was, his ratings were incredibly detailed and I could see how his meticulous attention to detail was, was impressive. And I remember he, he wanted me to look at, to, to sort of quantitatively evaluate some of some, something he was doing with, with basketball ratings and um, like the, what, what was the value of a rebound versus an assistance, you know, at some particular context. And, and he had the way he weighted these things just from his own time spent in the industry and and nothing like statistically and so what was crazy to me was when i did it like my numbers almost exactly matched what he'd been using for years and so he, he to me that says something um you know he'd been in the industry a long time and 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 then cade was cade obviously was was huge for me he, he advised my senior thesis and and he's like we're, we're we're excellent friends and we still like we, we started the massey peabody ratings and he's someone that is is a great collaborator and and i'm i'm really for i there's no way i'd be where i am today without either without both of those guys i should say just like to kind of touch upon what you said there with with kenny white and his his kind of handicapping ability and it kind of do you think we're in a position now with so many so many numbers and so much data that that approach is almost dying out or do you think there's still people that are, that are practicing that and will continue to practice that um, you know, I think there are people still practicing that, but I do think it's it is dying, and I think it's it's hard to win that way now. There's just there's just too there's just too much out there. I think before computers really were big, I mean, people had these big notebooks and were tracking everything, and there was a huge value to that. And and I think in general, Kenny's still really good early in seasons because he does know you know his research is so good. But but when you're I guess during the season, I think it's much more difficult to keep up with. How all these teams are doing and 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 i guess the quantitative aspects and and now i mean you just have so much more data i mean especially in the coming years we'll probably all have access to optical tracking data and you know i don't know how you sort of fit that into that to the approach and honestly that scares me too because i'm you know i'm, I'm not a stats phd or anything i'm gonna it's more data you know equals more difficult so you know, I'm going to be competing against a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me. Uh, 
I think now is a, a good point. We've got a very clear picture of kind of what what the landscape was like back in your early days. But I mean, so much has has changed since you actually started betting. So I'd I'd like for you to just kind of maybe talk us through some of some of the biggest changes within the industry from your perspective. The biggest changes in the industry from my perspective. Well, you know, in the United States, obviously, um, the pass was repealed, which is a huge change. But um, just overall, the worldwide landscape, I feel like it's kind of been a slow evolution. I mean, I think markets, everybody's been saying that that in-game wagering is the next big thing because it's so big in Europe, as you know, in soccer or football, I should say, football punters over there. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's it never really has taken off here in the United States, and and I I, I kind of thought it would back in like 2000. 10, I, I sort of was like, we need to be on top of this because this is where the market is going to go. But it's still mostly pregame betting, I believe. Um, but you know, I, I believe that markets are the markets are a lot more efficient than they used to be. I think, and that's something that's going to continue. I remember back in 2008 being like, wow, if I was because I was looking, I was back testing these models, and I was like, wow, if I was around in like 2000 or like in 1999, like these edges were huge. Um, or like even the 1980s. I think in the 1980s you could have bet like any like every NFL home underdog and, and made money. I mean things were just that inefficiently priced. The market was not efficient. But at the same time, I wouldn't have had the computer and the technology to be able to do what I was doing in the, in the 80s either. So I would have you know yeah it, it wasn't really a fair comparison. But but the funny thing is now I'm now I'm like wow I wish I you know 2008 I didn't know how good it really was. Is, I mean, markets, it, it's going it, to, you know, the funny thing is in 10 years, I'll probably be like, man, 2018, markets were really not that efficient. I thought they were more efficient, but like compared to now. So I think markets are always going to continue to trend toward efficiency and it gets harder and harder and harder to win. You referenced there a kind of a divide between the, the European side of betting and the, the American side. And I know... Um, recently there's been a lot of stuff I've kind of read Dave's Dave Hill's ringer article about closing and limiting accounts and stuff like that so is that is that something you're beginning to experience being over there oh for sure for sure I mean obviously in in the offshore world like um, my my partners and stuff have we've we've dealt with that before Uh, it's, it's nothing new and Pinnacle obviously is great because they don't limit winning accounts and it's a true market making book I mean you have basically pinnacle and you have Chris and then you have everybody else right and so um, I'm yeah it's in the United States now I think a lot of people probably outside the betting industry didn't realize that that people have the, the winning betters do have these problems at least I'm just going from my perspective that get it before I got into the industry, I didn't really know that people were limited for, for winning, whereas I did know that people were banned from card counting. And this is a debate Jeff and I uh, on our podcast had uh, earlier this week. But I, I definitely want to see legal you know, legal betting in the United States succeed. And it's going to succeed. It's going to be very big. But I want it, I want it to be uh, a true market. And I, I'm, I'm hoping there will be a book like a Pinnacle-style book that operates and and you know, hope you know whether I'm a part of that or not. Like I, I really think that it, it, there's a niche to be served. And it's it's one thing I guess for the the people taking the bets, uh, the perception of those companies to change. But do you think it's also fair to say potentially that the the betters themselves and people's perception of what it is to be a better is almost changing? I mean, 
we've obviously had a lot of press around kind of Jeopardy James and I know Ed Miller and Matt Davidovs their their books kind of getting a lot of press at the moment so what does it what does it feel like to be a professional better in 2019 no you're right I, I think that Jeopardy James especially uh you know I think we all seem smart by association like I I, I couldn't answer like three of the questions he got correctly uh right but um you're I mean I've always it's funny. I think people have this perception of, of what I do is one is either like I sit in my parents' basement and like nerd out and grind away and, ba you know, basically have my parents pay for everything. Um, or like I'm this like huge high roller and, you know, I, and I think that as betting becomes more mainstream, people will sort of be like, like sort of start to accept it as more of a regular job, which it, it basically is. It's, it's, it's not as nine to five-y, but it's it's a regular job, and and you're, I do think I, I do think having these really smart people like and, and Ed and Matt are two of the smartest people I know, um, and their book is is incredible. And if if you guys if anybody hasn't read it, I really really highly encourage you to read it. But but having smart people like that um, give, helps give give us a good name as professional betters. And I guess kind of having smart people like that within the market as well then also makes your job a little bit more difficult. I know you kind of said that you, you feel like the market's getting more and more efficient, but just how different is it now to, say, 10 years ago? How sharp is it nowadays? How sharp is it? Um, I'll give you an example. I used to bet second halves for football, like NFL and college football, and that used to just drive my yearly earnings. Like, it was it was... It was an ATM machine, basically. Um, it, it, the returns were just astoundingly good. And basically doing the same thing and updating the models, like the last three years, I've basically just broken even there. And it's sort of, it's, I don't even know like if I'm going to continue with it, just because the inefficiencies that were there are, are no longer there. And, the, and, and part of the issue, too, is it seems like um, it's, it's harder and harder to get down a good amount, too, uh, which... You would think that you would, I mean, I feel like 10 years ago, you could bet more than you can now, which is kind of a sad state of the industry. You had more books willing to take bigger bets. And now it's like when, when these second half lines come out, um, you generally have, I think, Bet Chris opens first, and, and then people wait for that Bet Chris to move and for the like sharps to hit it. And then everybody else opens a number that's already been bet into place by people betting like $2,000 a game and so i have basically a situation where if i if i get down um well i'm either getting down small if there if the market if there's no market resistance or like the ones where the the, the games where there is market resistance i can get down a lot but those are generally not going to be uh th those are not going to be my highest edges because there's obviously something i'm not seeing and so in general you don't you don't want your biggest bets to be when there's market resistance so it's it's been difficult. And I mean, that's just an example of, of one area where, where it's gotten harder and harder to win. Um, I, I think in general, live betting becoming uh, bigger has, is, is part of that because second half betting is just live betting, but just one a static. Um, well, it's just live betting at one particular time. But I think uh, now that you see live markets on, on all these games, it's much easier for, the, for bookmakers to price. And so there's opening numbers aren't quite as far off and you have more people competing to, to sort of get, you know, the blatant mispricings. 
Yeah, there's there's obviously kind of a couple of well, more than a couple, a lot of components at play here. The big ones are I guess the the books are kind of making their lines harder to beat and then you're also competing against more people, people that are getting more intelligent to try and beat those lines. And then a, the third one I guess that I'd kind of be interested to get your opinion on is sport in general seems to have developed so much. I mean, talk about kind of the data that's available and things like that. So what kind of developments have those had on your betting? Well, I think like better data has kind of been this great equalizer and it's, it's, it's made it, I mean, I guess 10 years ago, I think not everybody was dealing, was using the same sort of like data that, that I am. And I'm not saying it was super advanced, but I mean, I remember when using fo- football play by play was considered advanced relative to just looking at a box score. And now everybody's, I mean, now there's the optical tracking data. There's like sites like Pro Football Focus with with you know individual player grades. Um, you have Shot Link, which for, for PGA Tour with with shot by shot. Um, baseball, obviously now you know have Statcast and PitchFX. Um, PitchFX was maybe five to ten years ago, but but I think it it, it makes it. Um, I mean it. it creates edges in a way but then everybody when everybody's using this data then you're just it's i mean the marketplace as a whole is just so much sharper there's like there's so many more people that are good with numbers um doing this well so the 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 sports you're betting on i guess there's kind of a bit of diversity when it comes to available data that's out there so let's kind of you touched upon um like baseball there we're looking at like a 10 year plus kind of data boom up until kind of NFL and, and golf probably a bit a bit later than that so of the, of the sports that you're betting on professionally what ones do you kind of feel like you've seen the biggest development within the sport and has that has that worked to your advantage or your disadvantage um you know I think I don't I mean I would say baseball probably just because the stat cast is is I mean, it, it, it's the most advanced of, of any of them. I mean, you could see spin rates on pitches and, and I mean, you have fielder positionings, things like that. Um, but I think, um, so, so I'd, I'd say probably baseball, but I mean, I think all of them to some degree uh, have, have had these huge leaps in the technology and the data coming from that. I mean, I guess what you, what you haven't, where you haven't really seen that is sort of some of these other smaller golfer tours so the european tour uh doesn't have anything like like shot link or, or actually i think they do but it's just not available um so i mean you just have that for the pga tour but i think what we've seen so far is kind of nothing compared to what we're going to see in the future with optical tracking data which is going to honestly make the methods i have now a, a lot more like kind of obsolete in a way just but i do think also having that tracking data i mean if, if you if you can work with it correctly uh it'll be hugely beneficial but i do think a lot of people are going to be it, it's an over, it'll be an overwhelming amount of data and it's not going to be easy to sort of organize and and process and figure out how to sort of fold it in and i think that there's going to be a lot of people throwing around terms like machine learning and and basically saying oh yeah we can just our machine will just automatically take all this data and turn it into something good and that's just not how it works like machine learning is great and it's not something i'm it's, I'm not a machine learning guy, but I mean, I've things like neural nets, I like, bas- you know, basically understand it. Well, I don't understand them, but I understand what they do a little bit intuitively and, and they make sense. But like, 
you, you know, they're, they can be used for specific parts of a model, but I wouldn't just, you don't just suddenly stick this data in and it spits out this great model without like, you still, there's still, there's, you still need to be able to think creatively and logically and kind of have a, a good process to create a good model and that's not going to change. So hopefully I can just find some really smart machine learning people that I can work with and, you know, that I won't become extinct. Yeah, we had uh, we actually had Matt from from Data Golf on not too long. We kind of echoed those sentiments exactly, almost like this this black box approach to betting, where you kind of chuck a load of data in, something gets spit at, spat, spat out, and unfortunately, some people don't re- even know what's going on inside there to kind of get the results that they're getting, which I guess is can be incredibly dangerous. For sure, you know, if if, if you don't if you don't understand the limitations of your model, um, or I mean, how, how, how would you know if you, you know, if there was, if there are any biases or something, I mean, let's say if you have some model and it's suddenly showing value on all these, like on all these home teams and way more than it has in the past, like how do you correct for that? So let's kind of, I mean, you've, We've done a great job of kind of talking a bit about your past and your kind of insight into the industry and, and what's changed. And I'd like now to kind of talk a little bit about kind of what life is like for you now um, at this moment. So can you just kind of tell us the the day-to-day life of Rufus Peabody? Well, Ben, it really varies a lot based on the time of year. So um, it, it's, and it's been turned upside down a little bit by PASPA. At this point, like, I mean, there's been sort of a lot of opportunities that have come up as a result of it. And, and I have a few irons in the fire, but some projects in the works potentially, but, but they're moving slowly. And it seems like it's, you know, a few meetings here and there and, and nothing actually really being done yet. But, but I'm, um, I'm still doing my same stuff that I was doing, meaning I'm, I'm betting on football and golf and baseball. And so there's, there's a process every day. Um, well, during, during the relevant seasons for those and every week for golf. And I'm, I'm at this point, I'm, I'm actually doing something right now, a project on, I'm working on getting my golf process more automated for traders so that um, there'll be like this private web portal where I'll run some code or code will run and it'll upload every, you know, after the round and they'll just have to press a button rather than having to um, do a, having to um, right, right, right now I'm doing it on a server and it's, I mean, but basically, I'm working on on automating things to try to create more time for myself, which I mean, I, time is is the most valuable asset you have, and it's something I feel like I, ha- I feel like I have less and less of it, so I need to be more and more efficient with it. So, so that's one thing. Um, I'm I'm working on some a project in the works on on a new sport. I don't really want to say what it is exactly, but like on putting a team together, and and that's something I'm excited excited about. Um, I have the podcast I do every week with Jeff, which especially during the football season actually does take some prep because it's not easy to kind of um, talk about football games for me if I haven't actually done any prep, just because normally I'm just betting. I say, oh, my number is minus 17. Like I can get minus 13. This is a good bet. I bet it. And I don't really sort of say, oh, why is the number minus 17? So so that creates a little bit of a little work and that takes some time. And yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I don't, if you want the, the specifics, it's like I wake up, I work from bed in the morning for an hour or so, and then usually feel like 
which makes me feel like kind of a, I don't know, we're, we're, like working from bed sounds great, but it isn't actually that. You don't, you, you, I can get a lot done, but I don't feel like I've gotten anything done because I'm still in bed. So then, you know, shower, get up, go work at a coffee shop or, or in, in, in my office. And yeah, that, that's a typical day. It's pretty boring. It's like writing code and looking at a computer screen. I was kind of half expecting some Mark Wahlberg daily routine of, of up at 3 a.m., workout, crunch the numbers and all sorts. No, unfortunately, you know, I'm, I, I don't have anything good like that. I think it's it's quite good that that, that comes across because there's, certainly my feeling is there's the, the idea of betting for a living is, is romanticized to a point amongst people. So, I mean, from what you've just said there, would it be fair to say that you're not actually even doing that much betting nowadays yeah i mean i've never been the one putting in the bets anyway really it's it's i have a you know i have traders and a business partner and it's it's they they handle that part of things i'm you know it, it, i'm basically just doing doing the numbers and and developing these models and and creating these processes and once you've kind of so you've got those models that find an edge just how much time does it take to kind of refine those models and build on them and make sure that you're kind of ahead of that sharp market that we talked about earlier well the key is when you're building the models to kind of make it so they can kind of self-improve so my golf model for example um does that and so i don't i don't need to the regressions are updating with with the the new data every week but the improvement still i, I still do need to improve in certain areas in terms of just like like there's some fundamental flaws i believe in my model or some things I shouldn't say flaws, but but areas that I feel like I can I can be better at, and so that like those are these sort of massive overhauls. Which I, honestly, I'm in the middle of one for golf. I'm having to I created this sort of new name database, like because the problem is there's you know you have some golfers with the same names and they're referred to different ways, and there's no like if I'm if I'm getting data from like the Nordic Golf League or something like that, there's no like player profiles either. So if there's a guy named like I don't know, Richard Lee. That's not a. I mean, that's not a, game, a name you'd find in the Nordic Golf League. But like, but there's there might be a guy named Richard Lee, and there's other Richard Lees uh, that play professional golf or have played professional golf, and I'm having to try to figure out how to um, which which one it is and stuff. So so I'm trying to figure out a way to sort of automate some of that stuff. Um, but but these sort of overhauls tend to be difficult because there's no real off season for golf, and so it's like I'm trying to both develop something new while also having to keep the current processes running. And so, I mean, I think that's, that's the hardest thing for me, like, keep, like this organization and, and, and being able to sort of balance the long-term and the short-term. You kind of said there about what you'd call kind of data cleaning, I guess, getting hold of data and things like that. So have you, how does your, your data gathering work? Have you got kind of partnerships in place or is that something again, that you kind of outsource to, to different people? Um, you know, it varies from sport to sport. Some, you know, I, I pay people in certain sports. Um, in certain sports, we just, you know, it's just scraped ourselves. But, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get into detail on that. Of course, yeah, of course. Um, so I guess kind of just a little bit outside of betting, and I guess on a on a personal level, and you've kind of mentioned like coding and and stuff like that. How do you? How do you kind of develop and learn? Are you kind of learning new languages? Um, are you are you reading papers and stuff like that? Well, I'm I'm sort of a self-taught coder, and I'm 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 not a good programmer. I'm a hack programmer. I, I've learned I, I learned Perl, for example, 
by reading somebody's code to scrape baseball, um, to scrape baseball play by play. And I knew I needed to scrape baseball play by play. And I saw there was freely available code someone else had written. And I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to learn the language. And so I learned how to do the current, learn how to do what I needed to do with it. Um, I honestly, I don't spend nearly enough time sort of reading papers and, and improving and learning and developing skills as much anymore just because there really there really isn't as much time i don't know where it all goes maybe i'm i'm getting dumber i'm getting older and slower so it takes longer to get things done and then you have less free time but i used to read a lot more academic papers on relevant topics but it seems like i haven't been doing that nearly as much i think a lot of people can relate to that running out of time feeling and, and not enough time in the day as you get older you have like more responsibilities and your life becomes a little more complicated it seems like and I remember 10 years ago, my life was so simple. I'd wake up, I would just do sports betting stuff. And, you know, I, I had a little apartment I rented and that, that was it. Those were all like, I didn't have to worry about any, you know, I didn't have to like worry about a tenant in the, you know, in the place I'm renting out or any, you know, any other business endeavors or anything. So you didn't have to worry about people dragging you on podcasts either. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we've we've kind of talked a lot about um, numbers and data, but there's there's obviously a lot more to think about in betting, and kind of one of the big ones that are at the forefront of my mind is is psychological biases. Now, obviously, as someone who who bets for a living and and has a, a big team working doing that, I'm sure that's something you're aware of. But can you just kind of talk to us a little bit about your kind of perspective on biases and and how important they are? I believe biases are, are the reason there are opportunities in markets because if people do not exhibit these psychological biases, then their reasoning would be better, and then and markets would be much more efficient. So, I mean, I think the biggest the biggest bias, and and honestly, this is kind of going back to my senior thesis in general, is that people uh, people exhibit an outcome bias, which means that they they overvalue the outcome and undervalue the process generating it. And I think it's it's sort of this outcome-based thinking. I mean, people, we, we, we evaluate a decision largely in sort of the media based on whether it's successful or not. I don't know if you remember when Bill Belichick went for it on fourth and one, this was maybe 2009. Um, the, uh, the Patriots were playing the Colts and they were, I think they had a, they were up one with, uh, in the fourth quarter late around the two minute warning. And, and they knew that, you know, it was a high scoring game. If, if they gave the ball back to the Colts, Peyton Manning would probably win the game. And, and so they went for it in fourth and one, I think at their own like 25 yard line and, and they didn't convert. And everybody thought that was such a bad, it was such a bad decision to go for it because of that. And, and Bill Belichick probably was only able to go for it because he has so much job security because it's one of these things um, where, you know, if, if you, if you make the wrong decision or if it doesn't work out, you're, you're the goat. Everybody blames you. Whereas, um, you know, if you, you don't get the same amount of credit if it works out, but, but it was the right decision, but everybody, people evaluated based on the fact that it didn't work. And I think you sort of see that it's, I mean, you see that in a lot of areas of life, not just, not just sports betting, but, um, I, I think that's sort of a fundamental bias in the markets, obviously of recency biases as well. So people overvalue, um, recent swings, which a lot of time, like, you know, there are, it, I mean, hell, if, if I flipped a coin 50 times, you know, I might have a streak of like six heads in a row at some point. And that doesn't mean that the next one's more likely to be um, to be heads. I guess going with that sort of regression to the mean, people not understanding randomness. 
um, you know, if, if like in, in streaks and all that. And so, you know, just because you have six heads in a row doesn't mean that or just because a roulette wheel is, you know, had 12, three straight times. Um, we know that this is random. And so, and I think, you know, so, so that, you know, those have no predictive power uh, for, for future roulette spins or, or coin flips. But, but I think people think that, um, that some of these sort of weird trends like do have predictive power. They're like, Oh, you know, teams coming off of a road loss by three or more, and then facing a home favorite after traveling two time zones, you know, have, or 13 and one against the spread. And, and like, the, like that actually means something. And I remember I, I looked, I found that if you bet on every college football team um, that started with the letter O the last 10 years, you would have gone like 500, you would have hit like 56% over nine, 900 games. So you can find any sort, you can find all sorts of patterns in the data if, if you look, but that doesn't mean that it's reading tea leaves. It doesn't mean they're actually predictive. They're, 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 it's just noise. Yeah, and especially when you're doing things in hindsight, it then becomes even more dangerous to to find patterns that have gone before and then say, oh, if I'd have done that, it would have come in, or I knew it would have come in. So the the, the final kind of thing I want to speak about from from betting for you is is the, this idea of success. And a lot of people out there have, have different ways and means to kind of measure their success, but how do you do it? Are we looking purely at kind of ROI? Are you constantly looking at your kind of performance against the closing line? So you're talking about success betting, not not in life in general. Uh, I mean, we can talk about both if you want. You know, because that that's kind of it's it's that's an interesting question, um, and it's something that that I think I, I'm trying to figure out in a way. Um, in terms of betting, yeah, I, I consider it like how, I don't consider it just how much I'm making, um, but whether I feel like I have an edge. As well, I mean, I, I feel like there's, um, I don't know, I feel like there's ways of making money in sports betting. From, I mean, you can make money. You generate profit from line shopping as well. So if I was betting everything against the closing line, that you know, widely available in the big market, it's, you know, that 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 is harder to do, to do, um, to generate like those are harder markets to beat. So I think in general, like being able to beat the hardest markets is something is a little more satisfying to me. Than, than something that, you know, if I figured out that there was a way to get down a lot on like, um, I don't know, like archery or something. Um, so, so there's that. I mean, cause I, I got into this not to make money. I mean, this, like I, I, I took a job in, in Las Vegas making $25,000 a year because I, I really enjoyed the number side of sports and, and, and it was something that, that, that I was really passionate about. And so, for me, it's it's always it's this sort of challenge of of, of beating this mark, beating a market, and, and and it doesn't it's not the money that that makes me feel I don't know validated. I guess it's it's the winning, it's the competitiveness. We can I think we can save the uh, the philo- philosophical question of success in life for another time, maybe. So we've we've talked about kind of the past, the present, and kind of the industry in general, I guess the the next logical step just before we we call it a day would be kind of just to look into the future. And I guess, where where do you kind of want to go with your career? Where do you want to be in, say, five, 10 years time? You know, that's something that I've been trying to figure out for the last year. And I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with that a little bit, because 
I, I don't envision myself doing the same thing, you know, for the next 20 years. It's just, I mean, hell, the idea of doing anything for 20 years is scary to me. But at the same time, I feel like this is where my expertise lies. And so it's, it's, it, I, I'm, I feel like in a way I'm, um, I want to sort of, I, I want new challenges, but at the same time, um, it's at the same time, I'm sort of like, I don't want to say I'm lazy, but it's like, I don't have the same drive I used to. It's like, I have, I feel like in a way I have more ambition, but less drive, which is not a good, it's not a good combination. Uh, and so I, I'm, I think, you know, if, if something came up on the operator side that was, that I was passionate about, um, I'd be interested in that. Um, because I do, I, I do feel like I feel very strongly that that we need a market-making book in the United States, and we and that books should treat betters like Pinnacle does. But you know, I, I'm obviously, obviously there are a lot of operators that don't do that, so it's it's working out well for them, I guess. But I'm um, I'm hoping to launch a nonprofit soon. There's been some snags with that, but I, I feel strongly about you know I'm, I'm uh, about consumer protection in the sports betting space. I think that that what the way touts make a living preying off of people's bias, psychological biases uh, is is something that that really gets to me. I don't know, some people I wonder why, but for whatever reason it does. It's my sense of fairness. I, I grew up, you know, my first job was was refereeing youth soccer and I also was an umpire for Little League Baseball. So I've always really, I, I felt strongly about fairness. And so I, I'm realizing that now, that maybe that's why I don't like the sort of tout stuff or the books limiting people, but if I can find a way to um, make the, the the sports betting space seem a little more fair, or actually be a little more fair, I think I would that would be something I'd be really really passionate about. But in terms of uh, you know where I'll be in like ten or fifteen years, I have absolutely no idea. I think I'll always have some gamble in me. That's you can't really you can't really take that out of somebody. But but who knows whether I, I mean who knows what the markets will be like. I, I probably won't be able to win then. The markets will be so efficient that that we'll just be flipping coins. Yeah, I mean certainly the the touts and the tipsters. It's a very kind of hot topic in the industry, and I think it'd be certainly interesting to see what the industry as a whole and and perhaps you you yourself kind of do in that space. the The final one I've got is I just kind of and we've we've touched upon it briefly, and I guess in your answer there we kind of a few things came up as well, but. That's kind of the the future of your own career. So for the for the betting industry in general, what do you think will happen, or more so, what do you want to happen? Well, I think it's very difficult to predict. Like, I mean, I don't know how long term you're talking about. I think predicting what happens in the next two or three years is much easier than predicting what happens in five to ten years. But I mean, I think there's been a lot of research done that people you know can't predict oil prices in twenty years very well because you don't have a lot of feedback there. So I think that I think it's, it's the same kind of problem predicting where sports betting is going to be in five to 10 years. But I think it's going to be it's going to be big, um, and especially in the United States, it's going to get bigger. And I mean, how look, I mean, people lotteries make so much money in the United States and the odds are awful for for I don't want to call them betters, but for people playing the lottery, but yet they still do. So people love to gamble. And these these sports books, these operators, online casinos, et cetera, are going to continue to make a lot of money. And that's, I mean, that that's the one thing I will predict. I think that um, 
in terms of how the in terms of whether the the U.S. industry ends up looking more like Europe or something different, I can't say. And I feel like it's what happens now and in the next year or two is probably going to be really important in determining where the industry goes in the United States. Obviously, where do I want it to go? I, I want it to be a true market. I want, like, honestly, I, I what I would love to see is this big, like, exchange where there's a ton of volume and a lot of people are able to get down and it's, hell, operators can offload action if they want to, and it's good for everybody. Um, and, you know, like, bet fair times a lot. But will that happen immediately? Probably not. And are there, do we need the laws to be written in, a certain way for that to be feasible for sure and i think you know for example if you're taxing just if you're placing a tax on volume that that type of um that type of framework is just much less feasible well unfortunately i guess it's a case of only time will tell um but i mean for today i think that's that's all we've got time for i mean i just want to say thanks so much for coming on rufus it's it's so refreshing to kind of hear someone that's that's out there been through the grind and is kind of a real a real success story so so thanks for coming on thanks for having me ben and sorry i'm not a professional talker so hopefully your, your listeners can can get through this i'm sure it'll be an easy listen and they'll be grateful for the insight you've shared but as i said that's all we have time for today if our listeners out there want to hear more from rufus he's on twitter at rufus peabody and as always for anything related to betting follow at pinnacle sports or just visit pinnacle.com forward slash betting resources thanks for listening and bye for now